Good morning, everybody. There it is. Yeah, y'all saw nothing, right? <laughs> Good morning. Welcome to The Grove. We're glad that you are here today. Hey, turn to somebody and say you picked a good Sunday to come to church. You get to choose the direction. All right, now reverse the Uno card. Go to the other side. You picked a good Sunday to come to church. You picked a good Sunday to come to church because we are kicking off a brand new sermon series called Dedicated. Now, we're going to talk about this for five weeks. And so if you hear nothing else for the next five weeks, if you start to do the grocery list or count the lights in the ceiling, whatever you do, if you get kind of distracted, here's what you need to know about the series. Uh, We're going to be talking about the virtue of commitment in an age of unlimited choice. The virtue of commitment in an age of unlimited choice. So if that's all you get today, you have got the essence of this message and this series, and so we can bring the band back up and just close and go and back to brunch or wherever you go after church. No, tell me, uh, tell me if this sounds familiar. This happened this week. Uh, it happens most weeks in my house. Dinner is over. Dishes are done. The kid is doing homework, and I look at my wife, and I say, hey, you want to watch something? She's like, yeah, let's watch something. And then the question is, what do you want to watch? And she's like, I don't know. What do you want to watch? I go, I don't know. Have you heard anything good to watch? No, I haven't heard anything good to watch. Okay, well, let's see what there is to watch. And then you sit down on the couch, you hit the remote, Netflix pops up, and then you start scrolling. And I'm like, ooh, what about this? No, I don't think I want to watch that. Okay. Ooh, what about that documentary? No, I don't want to watch that. You know, and we go around and around, and yes, no, maybe, yes, no, maybe. You keep scrolling, and you're like, well, maybe let's search for a specific show, and then they don't have that show, but they just remind you that you can search for the show even though they don't have the show, which is a weird feature of Netflix. Have you noticed that? You're like, oh, they have, no, they don't have the show. Okay. And then you're like, well, maybe it's not on Netflix. Maybe we should try Hulu. And then you open up Hulu, and then you do the same process, and you scroll through all the options on Hulu. And then you're like, oh, this doesn't have anything we want to watch. And so then you jump to Amazon Prime, and you go to Amazon Prime, and you scroll through all of the options, right? You're like, no, I can't find anything else to watch. And you're like, maybe Disney Plus has something? I don't know. You get really desperate as you go through all of your options, and you finally get to Disney Plus, and you're like, no. 45 minutes later, and you're like, I don't really want to watch anything anymore. And no, I don't want to watch anything either, right? This can't just be our house, right? This is this process we go through because we live in a world with seemingly unending, unlimited, infinite choice. And for the most part, we like it, right? We love all of the options available to us. But what we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks is there is kind of a shadow side to all of the unlimited choice that's available. There is something that has happened to our world and our society and our culture because we are products of the environment that we live in and the environment that we live in is an environment that is filled with choice and option after choice and option after choice and option. It's not just about what we watch on TV, but it's about going out to eat, choosing food, We go through the same process. What do you want to eat? I don't know. What do you want to eat? And then you kind of reissue the same six options that you present every time that you decide about where you want to eat. And then you kind of pull up the apps and you scroll through the things. And then you do the map search. And you're like, well, what restaurants are in my area? As if you didn't know what restaurants were in your area. Hoping maybe something would inspire a new choice. Because with all of the choices that we have, sometimes we get tired of the choices and what we want. We want more choices. It's not just in the food, but it's in our shopping, right? 
you just want to buy like a bath mat. And then you go to Amazon and you realize that there are six million bath mats available for you to buy. It doesn't have to be a bath mat. It can be anything, fill in the blank. There are so many choices in our world that we can find almost anything we want whenever we want. But the problem is, is while we like choice, I think there is a problem with unlimited choice because of what it's doing to us and the effects that it's having on us. Now, the way we got here was we used to have a, a lot less choices. Maybe you have grandparents who kind of regale you with tales of a world without very many options, right? There are only four things in the grocery store and only one restaurant and a general, you know, they, they kind of go into this, it's like they lived, you know, in a little house in the prairie. But they tell you these stories about how the world used to feel so much smaller with such less choice in it. And a lot of that was true. Somewhere in the middle of the 20th century, we started to kind of develop and change our society and our culture and our world. Technology started to come into play and the rate of speed of change started to get faster and faster and faster. And with that change in speed started to be presented more choices about where you could live, what you could be, what you could do, where you would work, who you would marry, what you would buy, all of these options started to creep up more and more and more with more options. They're presented more options and it started to splinter and fracture and splinter and fracture to now you are not bound by the city that you grew up in, what your parents did for a living, the gender that you are. You're not bound by, you know, following in the footsteps of the careers that your parents had. You're not bound by limitations in geography. You're not bound by any of these things. There is an infinite number of options available to us. And we like these, right? We like choice. In fact, there are some valid merits of choice. There's a couple of them that kind of correspond to everything that's good about the choices that we have. The first is novelty, right? We have an opportunity to experience something new at any point in life. And that brings us kind of this hit of dopamine. Some of you thrive on novelty. You crave new experiences. Some of you are the opposite. You're like, I want to eat at the same restaurant or go to the same places and vacation in the same spots year after year, season after season. And some of you is like, I just want something new. I don't care what the new is just as long as it's new, right? But we love novelty that comes with new options and new choices, because we can always shift, we can always change, there can always seemingly infinite possibilities. It gives us lots of flexibility as well. If we're committed to something or we make a choice about something and we don't like it, then we can pivot and go to something else, right? There's always another potential scenario in front of us. And the last is the possibilities, like we already talked about this, but this is, we live in a world of infinite possibilities. There are so much about all of the choices that are available to us that are good. But there are also limits with unlimited choice. You know, there are benefits to choice, but there are also limits to choice. Because the shadow side, and this is where we're going to spend more time today talking about, is not what we gain from unlimited choice because so much of who we come to understand ourselves to be is based on the choices, right? We all have these seasons in our life. Most of the time it happens kind of in our adolescence period, whether that's 14 or 24. Some of you it's 44, but you know, it's an extended adolescence. But this is the opportunity where you explore and you try new things 
and you have seven different majors in college because you're trying to find the version of you that fits right. We talked about this last week, some of the things, the questions, the big questions that we're all trying to answer in life, the ones of identity, belonging, and purpose, right? This is typically that season in our life where we get to try lots of things. And so more choice is better for us because it gives us opportunity to explore all of the different possibilities of who we might be and what we might do and the people that we might spend our lives with. But the shadow side comes is when we become accustomed to the infinite number of choices that we have, we start to enter to a place of choice paralysis. This is what you experience when you turn on all of your different streaming devices or all your different streaming options or you try to go out to eat Maybe for some of you it's dating. You just keep swiping and you're like, oh my gosh, there's, I mean, they all seem like good options. I don't know which one to settle on because there's too many choices, right? There's a study that was done about a decade and a half ago. And what they did is they put kind of a, a table at the front of a grocery store. And they had two different options of what would happen. When one group walked in on one day, they presented six different types of jam. And they provided opportunity for people to taste the different types of jam and then buy the jam and then check out and do the things. And then the other option was there would be 30 different types of jam. And people could sample all the 30 different types of jam and have the opportunity to purchase and check out and buy the jam. Now here's what's fascinating. When 30 different jam options were presented, far and away more people flocked to the table. It was buzzing, crowded, people were elbowing to make sure that they had their opportunity to try one of the 30 different types of jam. But the conversion rate from tasting to purchasing was 3%. 30 options of jam, 3% conversion rate. Six options of jam, far less activity at the table, one of six choices, mm, that's not that many choices. Let me try the different six options. The conversion rate on the six types of jam, 30% conversion rate, a 10x increase, 30% conversion rate. Why? Because sometimes we experience choice paralysis. Sometimes we don't know what to choose because there's too many things to choose, and so we don't choose anything. But when we have sometimes fewer choices, that actually works better for us. One of the other downsides and limits of choice is kind of this like lingering, haunting, like dissatisfaction based on opportunity cost of the choice that you made. Because if you choose to vacation in this place, it also means that you can't vacation in all the other places in the world that were available to you. Or if you go to this restaurant or order that thing, you don't have the opportunity to order the other things or go to the other restaurants. Have you ever had the conversation at the end of the meal? It's like, I think you won, right? You say that because they made a better choice than you made and you feel dissatisfied about the choice that you made because there's limitations to choice. We have this, they're like these ghosts that haunt us with the choices that we make because the whole time you're in this place, you're wishing you're in that place and you're never actually where you are because you are always seeing the opportunity to be somewhere else. This is one of the insidious parts of social media right? Teenagers and kids perk up, and now I'm talking something that matters to you. This is why this is so dangerous, because you see all of the other options of where people are and what people are doing and who they are, that it causes you to feel dissatisfied about whatever it is that you've chosen. Even if the things that you've chosen about where to go, who to spend time with, what you're committed to, the activities that you're involved in, the type of person that you're trying to be, even 
despite your choice in those things, you see all of the potential options available. And you're like, well, that all seems better than what I'm doing. And so you're never satisfied with what you have, right? There's kind of like this continual, perpetual motion of something other than what it is that you have. And marketers and those who run kind of consumer media, they know this, right? They play on this. Which is why when you walk down the aisle in the grocery store, right, there's 47 types of Cheerios. We don't need 47 types of Cheerios. You know, the differences start to get really, really small when you look at all the options we have, but it's because they're just trying to get you to choose theirs over the infinite number of other options. And because there's so many choices, it leaves us in a place where we're often dissatisfied with our choices. Now, it's not just small things like where we chose to eat or what we ordered for dinner or where we chose to vacation, but sometimes it's big things and you see someone's whole life and because you have access to all parts of everybody's life or at least the highlight reels of everybody else's life, right? It causes you to constantly feel dissatisfied with your life or your partner or your career because you have access to all of the other potentials and possibilities that are out there. There is a a dark shadow side to all of the choices that we have before us. And then the last limit of choice that we're going to talk about this morning is that of isolation. Right? This happens when we kind of jump from one thing to the next, one commitment to the next, one team to the next, one activity to the next, one you know, place of employment to the next. Right? You keep moving from one to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, partly because it's fun and new and novel and you're learning about yourself, but eventually we get to the place where Despite all of the opportunity for connection that we have in the world through the power of technology, we find ourselves feeling totally fragmented and isolated and disconnected because we're not, we've never stuck with something. We've never committed to a group of people. We've never committed to an endeavor. We've never committed to a place or a community. We have no grounding. There's nothing that's anchoring us. Because we've been choosing and choosing and choosing and we switch and switch and switch. And so we get to this place where there's just a general anxiety that happens about us because we never know if we've made the right choice or if there's another choice that feels better. And we're constantly dissatisfied by our memory of all of the choices that we should have made that we didn't make and then we feel isolated because of the place that we're in. And I have bad news for us. This is only going to continue. This is only going to get worse. There's not going to be this magic wand that comes in and kind of reverts us back to an age of less choice. We're only going to move towards more and more and more and more and more choices. And, you know, we've talked kind of about superficial impacts of this, but ultimately there's like a deeper impact that we have to pay attention to. And this is the only reason we're doing this series. It's not just so that you can have a better dining experience when you leave here. You know, that's not our goal. But it's what is this doing to our souls? What is the effect that this has on us as a people? Richard Foster, who writes a lot about spiritual disciplines and kind of what that looks like and how to develop them in your own life, says this kind of as a cultural diagnosis. He says these words. He says, superficiality is the curse of our age. Superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction 
is the primary spiritual problem. Let me read that again. Superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. Now, here's what should be troubling about what Richard Foster has to say. He wrote this in 1978. Almost 50 years ago. And some of you are like, that can't be right. That can't almost be 50 years ago. It's almost 50 years ago. If it was true then, how much truer is it today? This is what he goes on to say. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people or successful people or wealthy people or insert any other adjective to which we spend our lives in pursuit. The desperate need today is for deep people. And I would kind of caveat that he's talking about a spiritual depth, a rootedness, a groundedness, people who are anchored into deep commitments. And this is why we're talking about this series, because this idea of dedicated, it has two definitions. This first definition of dedicated, um, we can show this on the slide, we'll, we'll pull this up. The two definitions of dedicated that we're going to be working through is the first is it's devoted to a course, ideal, or a purpose, those significant commitments that we make, right? We're dedicated to something. We're going to stick with it. We're not going to opt to do something else. We're not going to pivot or change or adjust, right? We're going to, we're going to commit to something and we're going to see it through to the end because we're dedicated, right? The other, op, the other definition that I think has a relationship to the first is it's to make something holy. And I often think that the first definition leads to the second definition, when we have deep, lasting commitments to something significant and greater than ourselves, it does invoke and produce this sense of reverence and awe. It does make it different or separate, which is just another word for saying it makes it holy. Right? We know this. We scroll on social media, and then you see this story or this video about a couple that's been married for 70 years, and she's leaving, and she's taking the photo of him standing at the door waving, and it does something to us, right? It touches us on this level because despite all of the options and the choices that are available to us, we long for something like that, right? We long for that deep commitment because there's something special about it that's different than the rest of the world around us. And these deep commitments that seem to be far, far and few between. This watch that I'm wearing is on purpose. This is my great-grandfather's watch. And the reason that I'm wearing this watch today is because of the engraving on the backside of the watch. This is what it says. Presented to D.H. Lohofer in recognition of 30 years service, the Texas Company, 1957. We don't do things like this anymore. We don't have acknowledgments or recognition for decades of service, for lasting commitments, right? This is so important that this was the watch that I chose to wear on my wedding day. As a reminder that like what I am about to do, the vow and the commitment that I'm making is a deep and a lasting commitment. 
And there is something holy about it. And so what my hope is for us over the next several weeks as we begin to work through the series, is we would begin to learn what it means to make significant, lasting, deep commitments despite all of the choices that are available to us. And that we would learn how to do it. And we would learn what commitments we need to make. Now, it should be no surprise that here at the church, we think there is one commitment that should be more significant than all of them. Beyond which streaming service you subscribe to or which restaurants you patron, it's that of faith. This is the foundation and bedrock for which all of our life should be built. It is the thing that provides stability, that provides community, that provides permanence in our lives because we're tapping into something far greater than anything we could build or create on our own. There's this idea called the Lindy Effect. Do you know about this? The Lindy Effect uh, comes from this deli in New York City uh, and it's the idea that very simply that the longer something that exists, the greater the likelihood that it will continue to exist. This is why there's something powerful about walking into a church, particularly an older, you know, typically Gothic architecture church. There's something that just feels holy and sacred about it. This is why we tell stories of our faith. This is why we sing songs that remind us of things that have happened thousands of years ago. This is why we engage in ritual and liturgy because it grounds us into a deeper commitment, something that has lasted for millennia. And we need that. We need to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, not just superficially, not just as it suits us, when it's convenient, but on a continual basis. It may seem biased, but this is why we think it's important that you prioritize coming to church on Sunday mornings and being involved in the life of the church throughout the week. Not just because like, it changes our numbers. That's, that's such a like, shallow metric of why this matters. It matters because it does something to us. It anchors us in life in a significant way. There's a verse that sits right in the middle of the book of Revelation. And this verse kind of functions as a pivot point. The first part of the book of Revelation, the writer, John, is starting to identify and address all that's happening in the world and culture around him. All that's happening in the background of the churches in which have been started over the last you know, 90 years post-Jesus' death and resurrection. And he's writing, talking about all of the things that he sees currently happening. And then he kind of presents a, kind of a, a picture of what will continue to happen if they don't change course. In an age of opportunity and choice for them, looks different than ours today, but similar cultural dynamics. They could worship any God that they wanted. There was all of this opportunity to live any lifestyle that they wanted. There was you know, a great number of options available and choices available to them in that context. And this is what he writes. He says, listen, he kind of sounds the alarm and he says, this is a call for patient endurance, steadfastness on the part of the people of God, committed to keep his commands and to remain faithful to Jesus. This is a call on the part for patient endurance on the part of the people of God, committed to keep his commands and remain faithful. Faithful to Jesus. 
John knows this. He knows that there has to be an anchor. There has to be a bedrock and foundation to give stability and structure to our lives. If we're left to our own devices, we'll just chase choice after choice after choice. We end up in a place where we're untethered and we're disconnected and isolated, racked with anxiety about whether or not we've made the right choice, not knowing which wind is more favorable. It's like driving in traffic, you know, you see you have that experience where you see the lane beside you going faster. And so you change lanes and then the lane that you were in speeds up again, so you change back, right? And then you just keep doing this thing and it feels like you're staying in place where everybody else is moving down the road. This happens in our life. Like it feels like we're not making any progress. We have no traction. And John's saying, listen, this can't be the case for the people of God. We have to anchor ourselves in something bigger than ourselves, more significant than ourselves, and that is our faith. Patient endurance on the part of the people of God, committed to keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. This means it will not always be fun. It will not always feel novel. It will not always be the newest, best, most exciting thing. Another pastor, Eugene Peterson, calls it a long, slow obedience in the same direction. For some of you, you're like, ugh, right? That doesn't trigger any of the dopamine that we're so used to getting triggered, right? But this is what it looks like. This is the invitation that we're going to go on over the next several weeks, is to be committed to something significant, something that matters, that has the potential to anchor our lives and lead us to a place of lasting significance and purpose and meaning. So I'm going to stop there because we got a lot more to cover the next several weeks. Next week, we're going to talk about how we do this and what this looks like in our day-to-day lives. Um, but for then, till then, let me pray. We'll bring the band out and we're going to sing one last song together. So will you join me? Gracious and loving God, it's you we find our identity. It's in you we find our belonging, and it's in you we find our purpose. God, left to our own devices, we are restless, and only in you is it that we find rest. So God, help us to begin to answer the call, to be a people who are committed and dedicated to deepening our faith and growing in our relationship with you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.